Here's a question I have for you today. If you could have anything you longed for, anything in the world, what would you want? Like if you could get anything in the world, like imagine like in a typical movie scene, you know, you found this lamp on the beach and then you went home and you scrubbed it clean and then a genie popped out and said, I grant you three wishes. What would you wish for? If you could have anything in the world, what would it be? For some of you, you'd say, you know what I want? I want a new body, right? I want wealth, I want fame, I want fortune. Maybe some of you would be like, I want a new spouse. <laughs> or I want new kids. If that's you, don't put up your hands, okay? Because some of you are. Maybe you'd say, hey, like what I would want is financial security. Or, or maybe you'd say like, hey, uh, what I would really want, I want a new job or I want to live in a different place or I want to never work again. Would that be anyone's worst like to never work again? What would be your deepest desire? Like maybe you would change how popular you are or how you look. I, I think there's so many different things we could desire, but I want to kind of ask you, I want you to sit and just think like, what do you long for? Like, what would be the wish? You know, when I look at the Israelite experience in slavery in Egypt, it's not a big surprise that when we find them, they are longing for freedom. They have been in captivity for 400 years, right? So no one's surprised that their greatest desire, their strongest desire, their deepest desire is freedom from slavery. They don't want to be slaves anymore. And so we find them here longing for slavery. And what I find so interesting as we read these pages is that their relationship with God seems all over the place. Like their relationship with God is just so unstable. Have you noticed that as you're reading scripture? Like one day they love God and they think God is awesome. And then the next day, oh, they're not so sure. Like one day they're marching by faith and the next day they're doubting God. Like the one day they think Moses, God's appointed leader, is amazing. And the next day, ah, they're not so sure. And they just had this yo-yo relationship with God, like up and down. We love him. We're not sure. He's amazing. He's not amazing. Like up and down, up and down. Maybe you've been in a relationship with people like that. Have, have you ever had a relationship where you with someone and you never quite know what you're going to get? Like you never quite know where you stand with them. Like we're in the, when they're in a good mood and they're happy with life, man, they're awesome to be around. Right, and they're supportive, and they're funny, and they're kind, but you just don't know if you're gonna catch them because when life's hard for them and they're in a bad mood, oh my word. It's like they should wear a warning sign, right? And they're like short with you, and they get angry for no reason, and they're frustrated all the time, and like everything's wrong, and has anyone been in a relationship with someone and it's just so unstable, like you just never know what you're gonna get with them? Maybe for some of you it's been like, you know, your best friend or someone you work with, or. There's just someone and you know what that feels like. Well, that's kind of the sense we get with the Israelites in the relationship they have with God. It's so up and down. Like they're just all over the place. Let me show you, for example, we're going to find them in slavery. They've been begging God for 400 years for deliverance. And finally, God reveals himself to Moses. And, and he says, hey, Moses, we're gonna I'm going to deliver you from this captivity. I'm going to deliver you from the slavery. This is great news. I don't know if you know this, but Moses didn't go straight to Pharaoh. In fact, he first went to the elders of Israel. And we're going to find that they really accepted him as a deliverer. It says this in Exodus 4.32. It says, They were soon convinced that the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron. 
And when they realized that the Lord had seen their misery and was deeply concerned for them, they all bowed their heads and they worshiped. I mean, guys, this must have been such a moment for these elders in Israel to realize that they don't have to wait for freedom anymore. Like the time has come. It's going to be in their generation. The promised one, the deliverer is here. I mean, they must have been so excited. So we see them. They, they love that Moses has come. They're bowing. They're worshiping God. They're saying, God, you're amazing. Until, until Moses leaves the meeting with the elders and he goes and has a meeting with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. Right? He's like, no. In fact, he's so irritated by this request. He's angry and agitated by this request that he turns up the heat of slavery. He makes it worse. He overburdens them. And he increases the, the torture and the, and the workload. He makes it unbearable for them. And now, those very same elders of Israel, who just like a page or two before, were worshiping with Moses and saying, yay, the time has come. Those very same people say this to him. They curse him in Exodus 5.21. They say, may the Lord, Moses, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials, and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. The very same people, by the way, who just a page before were worshiping with him. They turn their attitude changes so quickly until the day that God comes through. I mean, God is still faithful, even because in spite of the negative attitude, God is still faithful. Through signs and wonders, through the 10 plagues, he's active. He changes the heart of Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, okay, you guys can go. And on this day, when they are set free from captivity, set free from slavery, suddenly the Israelites think God is great and Moses is great again. And they are dancing and they're celebrating. Not only are they free, but we're told that the Egyptians, they were like, yeah, take our money, take our gold, take our treasure. Like they were free and wealthy, like in one go. Like, and so they're coming out of, of captivity. They're going to the desert. Like, and they're like, God, you're amazing. They're celebrating, we're told. They, they're dancing with joy. I mean, this is like the greatest day. They've been waiting 400 years for that moment. And so here they are. Moses is like at the height of popularity. They love God until, until God tells Moses to lead them to this Red Sea. And now they've got the sea in front of them. And they hear that Pharaoh is coming with his army, the greatest army on earth at that time. That Pharaoh is coming to defeat them. And in a moment, they turn on Moses and God again. Like just in a moment, their attitude changes. In a moment, it doesn't go their way. Look at what they say to Moses. Listen to the sass and the attitude here of these Israelites in Exodus 14. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Oh my word, it's like, these are like teenagers, right? What have you done to us by bringing us out to Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone and let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in the desert. Everyone say better for us. Ah, there we start to see the heart of these Israelites, right? It is all about them, isn't it? Better for us. Not so concerned about the will of God or his plan and purpose, but it's better for us. 
And so, yeah, we see them with such attitude at God and his plans. And in spite of that, guys, God still delivers them. In spite of the attitude, God is so faithful and gracious. He parts this Red Sea and these Israelites walk through on dry ground, right? And then they turn around and they watch as the greatest army in the world comes through that same path and the waters collapse on them. And in one swoop, God defeats the most powerful military army on earth. In one swoop. And again, what happens to the Israelites? Their attitudes change. Suddenly, oh God, you're amazing. Moses, you're cool. Like suddenly, because you know, they saw something they wanted that they thought was better for them. Suddenly now God's great again. It tells us in fact in Exodus 15, 20, then Mary and the prophetess, Aaron's sister, she took the tambourine in her hand. All the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. This was like the first women's conference, right? <laughs> and we were told there's about a million, probably about a million ladies here. This would be a really good time to be in the tambourine business because you just sold a million, like all these women dancing with tambourines, celebrating these same people, guys, who just the page before were saying, who are you and God, what are you doing? And we want to go back to slavery now. They're dancing. They're celebrating before God until just three days later. Everyone say three days. Yes. Just three days later, guys, suddenly they're a bit thirsty, water's a bit sparse, and they start turning on God. Moaning and complaining. I mean, forget the Red Sea, they're thirsty now. And still God delivers them, makes water come from a rock until a few days after that, they're starting to get hungry and they realize there isn't as much food in the desert as it was in Egypt. And they totally turn on God again. In fact, in Exodus 16 verse 3, listen to what they said. I'm aware of these guys. They said, oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. And then they remembered, oh, you remember when we, used to, when we sat by the pots of meat? Mm. And when we ate bread to the full, oh, the good old days in slavery. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill us and this whole assembly with hunger. Wow. Can you see the pattern? I'm not even going to go on, guys, because it does go on. It goes on and on and on. There's this pattern of like, God, you're amazing. What do we see the Israelites doing? As long as God is doing things their way, as long as he's answering the prayers away, they want those prayers answered. As long as they're getting what they want from God, they think God is awesome. And the moment God does something out of their plan, the moment God does something different, the moment they feel inconvenience or discomfort, suddenly God's not so cool anymore. And what we see happening with them is their real hunger and desire was not for God. Their real hunger and desire was their own needs. And church, the same is going to be true for you and me. If you want an unstable relationship with God, where you have seasons where you love him and he's great and seasons where you're not sure about him. Here's what you do. Here's the recipe. Be more concerned about your own desires than the will and the presence of God. And anytime you and I are more concerned about our own desires than the will and presence of God in our lives, we will find our relationships to be just as unstable.
Where one day we have faith and the next day we're full of doubt. One day we have praise and thanksgiving and the next day we're full of frustration. The moment life doesn't go our way, we turn on God because God is not our true desire. If you want an unstable relationship, if you want your relationship to flip and flop just like this, put your desires above God's will in your life. You know, it goes on for so long that even God gets fed up with him. Even God is done like he's done. In fact, I love what he says here to Moses. I think this is so funny, but I'm sure in the moment it wasn't. But in Exodus 33, God says this to Moses. Listen to these words. He says, Moses, now that you have brought these people out of Egypt, you lead them. You lead them to the land. I solemnly promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I, I, I told them long ago that I'll give the land to their descendants. And I'll even send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And you know, this is a land flowing with milk and honey, but, but I'm not going to travel along with you. For you are a stubborn, unruly people. And if I did, I'd be tempted to destroy you along the way. <laughs> Oh man, isn't that good? You know what I've often thought, like, obviously in ministry, we, we get to see a lot of what's happening in our city. We, we get to hear and experience some of the worst parts of our city and some of the things happening in our country and some of it's heartbreaking stuff that keeps you up at night. And, and I've often thought this, guys, how does God, like, he, he would just need like a moment, just a, one moment of a lack of self-control, you know, because he's seeing the worst of the worst in this world. Like he would just need one moment where he's like, okay, I'm done. Right? And it just ceases to exist. Like, like God has so much self-control, right? Okay, he's seeing the worst things that's happening to kids and to people and to nations. Like he's seeing the war crimes. He's seeing the violence. He's seeing the abuse. He's seeing the theft, the corruption. He's seeing all of this. And it would just take a moment, like one second for him to go, ah, oops, right? They're gone. <laughs> like, Right? But God is just so much self-control and we see him getting so frustrated with these Israelites that he's like, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fulfill the promise in your life and I'm going to let Moses take you. Moses, you, you take them and I'm, I'm going to be so generous. I'm even going to give you an angel to go before you and the angel will take care of all your enemies. And you can just go have the promised land. I'm going to do it because I said I would, but I'm not going with you. I can't because if I'm with you, there might be a time where I, where, where you're done, where I destroy you. Now, it's a good thing that God made this deal with Moses. Because how many of you know, if he had tried to make this deal with the Israelites, they would have totally said, yes, that sounds awesome. I mean, come, let's be real. They, they were willing to go back to Egypt without an angel. Now God is offering them the promised land with an angel. Woo, I mean, that would... That would have just been awesome for them, right? But not for Moses. For Moses, that was not the answer. In fact, listen to Moses' response in Exodus 33, 15. He says, God, if your presence does not go with us, then do not bring us up from here. Wow. God, if your presence doesn't go with us, Don't take us out of here. And can I remind you where here is? Here is in the desert, the wilderness. 
a place with lack, an arid, dry land. There's no gardens there. There's no fruit trees. There's no shopping centers or recreation or entertainment. This is a place of lack and less, a place with no abundance. And But this is the heart of Moses. God, he, he was saying, God, I would rather stay in the land with no abundance and no pleasures and have you than be in the land flowing with milk and honey without you. Like if I had to choose God, like you're giving me this choice right now. I would rather this desire, this, this longing that we've had as a nation for 400 years, I would rather not have that promise fulfilled if it doesn't include you in the package. I'd rather be in the desert with you than there in luxury and paradise without you. And it kind of makes me think this question, would you take the deal? Like that thing I was talking about, that your, your, your number one desire, this thing that like, you know, your, heart, your heart's desire, like the thing that you would want most in this life, if God would say to you, hey, I'll give it to you, sure. You've been asking for this for so long. You've been praying for this for so long. And it could even be a good thing. It was a good thing that the Israelites wanted freedom from slavery. It wasn't a bad request. If God said to you, hey, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to answer your prayer, your deepest longing, your strongest desire. I'm going to give it to you, but, but then I won't be in your life anymore. My presence will not go with you. Would you take the deal? Because Moses, he didn't. And you see the differences? Moses knew, guys, he knew that the real treasure was not the promised land. The real treasure was God himself. And for you and I, we have to remember, the reward for you is not the answer to that prayer. As beautiful as it is when that happens. The reward for you is not that deep longing, that deep need, that breakthrough you've been waiting for. That, it's great when it happens, but the true reward for you and me is God himself. He is our reward. He is our treasure. And if you make anything else your treasure, you're bound to have a really unstable relationship with God, I'll tell you now. Because the moment life doesn't go your way, the moment that answer to that prayer doesn't come through, the moment the breakthrough is taking too long, whew, you're going to turn on God. <laughs> you're going to be angry with Him and upset with Him. And like, oh, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not praying anymore. I'm not going to do that church thing anymore. Like, it doesn't work. The, the surest way to have an unstable relationship with God is just put your desires above God's will and above His presence. So what do you desire? Is there anything in your life right now that you desire more than God himself? I'm reminded of the psalmist David in the famous Psalm, Psalm 63, where he said these words, Oh God, you are my God. It says, earnestly I seek you and I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there's no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and I've behold your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. 
David says, God, I long for you just as if a thirsty man longs for water in the desert. That's his desire for God himself. His desire wasn't for the water in the desert. It was for God. He said, God, you're my treasure. You, you what I'm earnestly seeking, what I'm earnestly longing for, God, is just you. God, I want you. And if you had to kind of rate your own heart, if you had to look at yourself, which sometimes is hard to do honestly, but if you had to look at your desires, how much do you just want God? How much do you want his presence? How much do you seek him as is he your treasure? Because if we're going to have a stable, close relationship with God, he's got to become that. He's literally got to become our number one desire to say, God, the, the thing I want most in this life, if someone had to ask me, it's I just want to be in the presence of God. That's my number one hope, my number one desire, my number one prayer above everything else. I just want to be in the presence of God. And let me remind you that when Scripture talks about God's presence, there's two types of presence. Right, Scripture talks about two different expressions of the presence of God. The first one is the omnipresence of God. Everyone say omnipresence. omnipresence. This is the understanding that God, because He's God, is everywhere, all at once, at all times. Right? He's omnipresent. This is what David was referring to in the Psalms when he said this in Psalm 139 from verse 7, where he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the dips, you're there. If I rise in the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guard me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Right? God is everywhere all at once. We can't actually escape that presence of God. But the omnipresence of God cannot be felt. And it cannot be experienced. But just because you can't feel it doesn't mean he's not there. He is everywhere. This is where the promise comes from, from Hebrews 13, where he says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That is the omnipresence of God. But it's not the only type of presence we see in Scripture. There's another type of presence, a presence that Moses was in fact talking about. And that is the manifest presence of God. Everyone say manifest presence. The manifest presence of God is when the things that are unseen and unheard and unknown become seen and become heard and become known. Can I say that again? The things that are unseen and unheard and unknown become in that moment seen and known and heard. In other words, these spiritual things of God that we cannot with our senses see or hear or know suddenly become accessible to us in our physical bodies where we can actually have an experience with God, where we can see Him or hear Him or know Him in ways that we couldn't know without the manifest presence of God. It means you can experience God with your soul. Your soul is your thinking, your emotions. It means you can experience God with your body. Your, your, this, these five senses, these five gateways that God has put in our bodies. And the manifest presence of God, you can have an experience with God that is a physical, real experience. And these are beautiful moments. And this is what Moses was speaking about when he says, God, I, I'd rather your presence goes with me than have any treasure on earth. This is what David was talking about when he says, my soul yearns for you, it longs for you. This is what Jesus was talking about in John 14, 21, where he says, I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. I will have, allow him to have a physical experience with me. 
This is what the psalmist was referring to in Psalm 85, 15, where it says, Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence. This is what Peter was talking about when he said in Acts 3, 19, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from where? From the presence of the Lord. And in the manifest presence of God, people experience God in very different ways. In Scripture, we see in the manifest presence, sometimes people heard the audible voice of God. That's happened to me once in my life. In the manifest presence of God, sometimes in Scripture, people saw God or saw expressions of God. Sometimes they would have a knowing of things that they didn't know about before. I know in my life where I have been in the manifest presence of God, we've often seen supernatural things happen. It's in these places often we see people be slain in the spirit or people laughing in joy and they don't even know why, but there's like a spirit of joy welling up in them or sometimes people crying and God's just doing this deep healing work. Sometimes it just means people are in silence. I remember in this church when I was growing up here in high school, we uh, had a manifest presence of God where there would be this gold dust that would just kind of coat everything. It would coat the floors and the musical instruments and people's hair and people's clothing, right? I've heard of the manifest presence of God doing things that I've never seen, like people getting new golden teeth, right, in the presence, or uh, jewelry appearing, or people with bald hair suddenly getting hair. Can all the bald men say amen? <laughs> or people that are overweight suddenly losing miraculous amounts of weight in a meeting. Can we pray for that kind of manifestation, please? Right? We would love that. <laughs> But the point is that in the manifest presence of God, supernatural things can happen. God is God, and, and, and He's not bound by the laws of physics and the laws of nature and the laws of science. He can do what He wants. And so when He shows up in the room in that way, God does incredible things. Um, I'll say this, those of you who were at Encounter on Tuesday night, there was a manifest presence of God in the room. How many of you were there? Wasn't it just beautiful that what God was doing in the room? It was, you know, I love moments like that. I think we're made for moments like that. There was a time and encounter that the entire room was either on their knees or lying prostrate before God. And, and it was just, God was just moving and people were crying and singing and hearing Him and listening. And when God shows up in the room like that, I mean, you almost don't know what to do, but just be with Him and allow Him to move and allow Him to minister. And guys, those are moments that we should desire. We are more than we desire all the worldly things that the world can feed us. We should seek God. And we've got to be really clear as we seek in God that we never seek the manifestations more than God. And I just want to put that out there because that can be a danger for people when they've experienced some kind of manifestation that sometimes that manifestation, we can start to desire that even more than God. And then it still becomes out of balance. I mean, uh, let me go back to when I was in high school in this church and there was this gold dust. It was pretty incredible. I mean, it was unexplainable. It was beautiful to happen. But there definitely came a point where we would start to worship God with one eye open, right? Right, we would... We, we, Wear black clothing to church on purpose because the gold doesn't show easier, right? 
And it became not really anymore about the presence of God. It became about, will there be gold dust today? And there was this, almost this thinking for a while, well, God, God's only showed up in the room if there's gold dust, right? So he wasn't really there today. And so what we can easily do is seek the manifestation more than we seek the presence of God himself. I know some people who, you know, were in God's presence and they had the experience of laughter just welling up within them. But then for a while, every time they sensed God's presence, they thought that's what should happen. And so they would pursue laughter, right? Even though when it was not really God doing it. I've had people that are in rooms where God's moving and there's this prophecy anointing moving around the room. And so now every time they sense God's pr presence, they're like, well, there should be prophecy now. Right, so there's this idea like, once I've had this experience of a manifestation, if I'm not careful, I can now seek out the manifestation more than I seek out just God's presence. But I wanna tell you, when God shows up in the room, He's God and we're not. And He will do whatever He wants to do. And our pursuit mustn't be for a particular manifestation. Our pursuit must be, God, we just want you. You are our treasure and you are our joy. And just you showing up in the room is enough because sometimes the manifestation is just a sense of God. Just sensing he's here and he's doing something and he's touching me and he's working me. And remember Elijah? <laughs> when God showed up with Elijah, there were some big manifestations. When God showed up with Elijah, there was a manifestation of a mighty spinning wind, a tornado. There was a manifestation of an earthquake, but God wasn't in that. He wasn't in the wind. There was a manifestation of fire, but God wasn't in the fire. Where was he? He wasn't in those manifestations. He was in the whisper, in the close whisper. And so we have to be very careful, guys, when we're pursuing the presence of God to say, God, what we really want is just you in the room. And anything that comes with that, that's a bonus. But our heart, we're just yearning for you. It's like me putting on this pair of pants this morning, right? Why did I put on this pair of pants? Well, one reason I didn't want to minister to you in my underwear, and it's a pleasure, right? Uh, I want it to be closed. I mean, imagine now I put on this pair of pants and put my hand in my pocket and I found a hundred bucks. I'd be like, cool, isn't this cool? Now, did I put on the pants to find a hundred bucks? No, I wanted to be clothed. And this was just a nice surprise. We've got to treat the presence of God the same way. We've got to say, God, what I'm seeking is to be clothed in your presence. And anything that comes other than that, hey, that's just a bonus. But my goal is to be clothed by you, just to be surrounded by you. And guys, this has to become our desire. Will you seek out God? Will you make him your desire? Because if anything else is your desire, your relationship with him will be up and down and yo-yo and flip-flop just like the Israelites. Will you seek God? I want you more. I want you more. Just you are enough. Just you are my treasure. Church, let me remind you as I close that manifestations never satisfy because they're not designed to. Just look again at the Israelites who had this daily manifestation every single morning of manna. They had a literal manifestation. Okay, come, come on, that was a good one. That... But you know that it didn't satisfy? God, every single morning, woke them up with this manifestation, but it wasn't enough. They're never meant to satisfy us. That's not their goal. In fact, Scripture tells us that God did that to show them 
that they actually need more than just that gift. In Deuteronomy 8 verse 2, it says, Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness these 40 years, humbling you and testing you. Why? To prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey His commandments. Yes, He humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. But He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Guys, that is what's truly going to satisfy us. The word of the Lord, the living word of the Lord to pursue his presence. And so what should we hunger for? What should our desire be? Just the presence of God. I want to live in the manifest presence of God. And so really we have a choice to make. Here it is. What do you really want from God? What do you really want from him? Are you hoping that there's this whole, all these blessings and good things that he's just going to bring into your life? And look, he's a God who does it. And I've seen it in my life and I've seen it in many lives. And it's why we pray and we ask. But is that like all you want from him? Because if that is all your relationship is about, I just want to warn you that it's likely to be pretty unstable. And the moment you're not getting that and things go backwards and you feel like you're taking a few steps backwards into the forwards and you feel like you're losing things in life and the breakthrough is taking too long, most likely your relationship with God is going to suffer in some way. There's most likely going to come a time where you feel like you can't pray and you don't want to go to church and you don't want to read the word and you want to just quit the circle because things are not working out. And that really is a sign that your own desires have been elevated above God's will in your life. But when we can switch that around, you know, the price points that we put value on in our lives, when we can switch around those price points and say, God, my one desire is you. Just you, your presence is my treasure. It is my reward. You are all I desire. When we seek him first in his righteousness, Matthew 6, says, then all these things will be added to you. Just seek him first. And so what is your desire? What do you long for? Can I ask you to close your eyes, whether you're here online somewhere, listening somewhere? I want to ask you to examine your own desires. What is the longing of your heart this morning? Maybe your deepest desire is to be healed or to be married or to be wealthy or live somewhere or have some type of job or some type of money or some type of family. Can you elevate the desire for God above all else? Maybe even as an act of faith, you just want to pray this prayer right now and just say, God, I desire you. I desire you more. I desire you first above all else. God, all I want is you. You know, church, we sing those songs so easily. But I wonder how often it's true. Say, God, all I want is you. All I need is you. We say, God, you are enough. Your presence is enough. You are my treasure. You are my reward. And church, as we read this morning in our tithe message, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So Father, I want to pray that you do what only you do and just change. Would you renew our desires?
God, there's so many other things in this world we often want and we're yearning for and we're looking for. There's things we believe will bring us more happiness and more fulfillment and more pleasure. And God, we can often get it so wrong when really our reward is you, the promise is you, the treasure is you. Holy Spirit, as we go our separate ways this week, would you minister to us in our hearts? Would you remind us daily of your word? Every time, God, we're valuing something too much. Every time we're putting something above you, Holy Spirit, would you convict our hearts? Would we put you first, desire you more? God, would you be the thing that we pursue? May we be unwilling to go anywhere without your presence, I pray. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.